Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Sunday sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship. We would love to hear how God has blessed your life. Reach out to us through social media or email us at scfellowshipchurch at gmail.com. When we are willing to be vulnerable as God asks us to be vulnerable, there's some just amazing things that happen. And people's lives are changed and they're blessed for it. It also helps remind us that it's really not about what we want. It really is all about what God wants. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about suffering, rejoicing, and giving thanks. And I do think all of those go together. It may seem weird, but, but I do think they all go together. And, and the question that we ask constantly, I do anyway, is, you know, does God allow good people to suffer? You know, I've heard people say that they won't serve a God who would allow people or send people, rather, to hell. And it's a very childish viewpoint, if you ask me, because it doesn't matter whether you agree with the person in charge or not, they are the person in charge. You see, you know, people, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you rose up against your boss one day and were a little rebellious, and you told them you just didn't respect them or their authority and you weren't going to do what they asked you to do. And you got the open door to go find yourself another job. There's no problem. You don't have to like their authority, but just because you don't like it doesn't mean that's not going to be the authority going forward. And so that's what happens to us. We see bad things happening in this earth, and we can't wrap our head around why God would allow bad things to happen, especially to people we consider to be good. And I've told you before that, number one, we've got to, we've got to change our definitions. What may seem good to us may or may not be good to the Father. And the only way we're going to find that out is to dig into the scriptures and to trust in him. Matter of fact, we talked about a scripture Wednesday night that said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I said, evil, Lord, I, I don't feel like I'm evil. I mean, I mess up and make mistakes, but evil's like the extreme, you know? I mean, you, you got awesome, good, bad, and evil. I'm like, man, I might be bad sometimes, but evil, Lord? But, you know, the Bible talks about that kind of stuff. And so we have a hard time wrapping our head around suffering but the guy that comes to mind for most of us is Job. And so today what I want to do is I just want to take uh, just a, a, an aerial view of Job. I don't want to dig deep, deep in there. There's a lot of, lot of scripture and a lot of things that can be taken out of the book of Job. And so I, I just want to kind of take just the basics of it and show you about how God operates in our lives, okay? So first of all, Job, as is recorded in Job, is a blameless, righteous man who honors God. It says so in Job 1.8. Job 1.8 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So it's not a question of whether or not Job was a righteous man. He, he was a righteous man, even out of the lips of, of God, out of the mouth of God. But Satan then does something that we see happen to us all the time. And I'm seeing it happen with my brother, and you guys have seen it happen with, with other people you know in your families. I know because you've told me. Satan, the accuser, comes and he begins to attack Job's character. Do you know that, that that has not changed for the enemy? When he attacks us, he attacks our character. We shouldn't be shocked when our character gets attacked. And he says to God, he says, you know what, the reason that Job continues to be an upright man is because you've blessed him so much. If you'll just remove that, you're going to see. He won't, he won't be celebrating your name anymore. He won't be celebrating your name. And so God does allow Job to suffer. We see that in Job 1.12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. 
Man, that's a tough scripture right there. You know, I, I've sat up under preaching my whole life, not just dad, I won't throw him under the bus, but we teach trust in the Lord, but we also go one step further and, and we say, well, if we'll do things God's way, we'll always be in this bubble that we won't have any harm or anything bad happen to us. And that's the way we grow up and that's the way we believe. There are people that talk about, you know, when I become a Christian, things will get easier. Things will get easier. Those of you that have been a Christian for any length of time know that, that in the natural, that's not a true statement at all. Spiritually, it is. And as we grow as Christians, it does become an easier life. But only if we can find those scriptures that help us understand this world. Because God is saying right here, hey, look, you may think you're a good person, but guess what? Everybody experiences suffering. Everybody experiences suffering. And, and then you read on in Job, and he, he does lose his property and his children. Man, you start reading that where he loses his children, and I start questioning God right then and there. Lord, I get taking all of his possessions away. Those are just things. But Lord, you allowed his kids to be taken from him? So then I'm faced with the option. Do I just say, well, I'm not serving you, and I don't recognize you as God? Well, I have that choice, but just because I say it don't make it true. Just because I don't like what he's doing doesn't make him not God. The better way to say it is, I don't understand what he's doing. That's really what's going on. In my perspective, it seems like God is being an unjust God. And in fact, that's part of the assumptions that are made in the book of Job. So, so we see right off the bat that, that God does allow good people to suffer. So, so if you're sitting there asking, Lord, why? I don't know why you would have me suffer and you're getting frustrated with the Lord. Job is a great book to understand that just because you're quote unquote good and an upright man or woman doesn't mean that God won't allow you to suffer. Well, then he must be an evil God. So these are the, the assumptions that are put forth. And I ask the question, why does God allow good people to suffer? The big assumption is that if you're wise and good, then you'll experience success and reward. And that if you're evil and stupid, then you'll experience disaster and punishment. And if I had you raise your hands, I would assume that the majority of you in here have lived that life. And I know I have. One of the big issues I've had with what's going on with my brother is that I'm seeing a world that does not act fairly. I'm seeing a world that in my mind is not just. I'm the kind of guy, I've told you, that gets frustrated when these big trucks park in the, you know, block that intersection because that's not Right. It frustrates me. Then I see cars that'll cheat the system and come up the, the straight lane and then at the last minute turn in front of that big truck and I don't like them either because that's cheating the system. That's not right. You're not supposed to be able to prosper. What was the saying? Cheaters never prosper. Can I tell you something? That proved to be false growing up. I mean, I'll just tell you some of the people that I know have cheated and they prospered greatly. Ryan Braun for the Milwaukee Brewers was a baseball player who won the National League MVP award years ago. And they accused him of, of doping. He denied it. Later on, the short version is, he, found, he was found to be guilty. Guess what punishment he suffered? None. They didn't take his MVP award away. They didn't put him in jail. They didn't even fine him. They just said, eh, don't do that again. I thought cheaters never prospered. That clearly shows the opposite. And so you begin to have your worldview messed up a bit. And that's what we take into life a lot of times. So we start asking questions. I don't understand, God. How can you allow this to happen? Why don't you step in and stop this? Why don't you prevent this or that? You're all powerful. Why don't you do this? Fill in the blank. You see, Job 
had a version in his mind was he's innocent and his suffering is not divine justice. And guess what? The Bible backs him up on that. God said there, I read it to you, that he was a just man. So if he's a just man and these unjust things are happening, then Job's thought is then either God doesn't run the world according to justice or God is an unjust God. So then his friends enter the scene a little later on. And their view is that God is just and he does run the world based off justice. Therefore, Job must have sinned. I know y'all haven't been around any people like that. But the reason I don't have this or that in my life or the reason that I, I, you know, I haven't seen success here or there is because I must have sinned somewhere or I'm not doing it God's way. We, we got friends like that, don't we? And I do think we need to take inventory and ask God, hey, Lord, please show me if there be any area in my life that I'm operating in sin. Because the reality is if we're operating in sin, that has to be removed first. But, but we operate under the, under the premise that we're, we're, we're just people, that we're upright people, that we're doing good, we're doing things according to the Lord, and yet we're still seeing suffering. So in our minds, the friend's view doesn't take either. And Job knew he was an upright man, so he didn't buy into their philosophy. Then later on, there's another man that enters the scene called Elihu. And he kind of puts a plot twist or a change of thinking here because he agrees with the friends and says, no, God is just. And God does run the world according to justice. So it seems like he's siding with the friends. But then he also says, suffering, however, can be one of a couple of things. If you're upright and just, maybe the suffering is simply to send a warning to avoid future sins. You know, Jesus sent a warning. Jesus suffered so that we might get saved. Maybe you're suffering so that somebody might get saved. Let me ask you a question, and this is a question God asked me. Would you suffer if one person could get saved through your suffering? Would you suffer if it meant one person might be saved? Can I be honest with you? My follow-up question to the Lord was, well, that depends. What kind of suffering are we talking about? I'm just being honest, Lord. I'd be willing to fast for 30 days or to, you know, move or sleep in a tent, which is really rough for me. I enjoyed the camp out, Jim, but Jim knows I went home. He took great pleasure in calling me the next morning to get me back out there, but sleeping in a tent is tough. But what kind of suffering are you talking about, Lord? What kind of suffering are we talking about? So then you go to the next, next question, which is, is there a number in which you would say, it doesn't matter what the suffering is, I would suffer if this many people could get saved as a result of it. To me, it puts suffering in a different perspective there. Then suffering would be worth whatever we went through, wouldn't it? If you think about it, I think the disciples suffered just a little bit. But they did so because they believed in Jesus. And they knew that despite their suffering, there was a bigger cause at hand. There was a bigger purpose. There was a bigger reason for their lives. So they didn't care. They didn't care how much they suffered. Paul suffered for the salvation of others. If you look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Man, that right there. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Not who comforts us if we're the unfortunate ones who happen to experience tribulation. 
No, no, who comforts us in all our tribulation. That says to me that I'm going to go through some tribulation, probably more than once. There's going to be some suffering for the kingdom. It says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a lot of comfort in there, but the point is that we are able to comfort others through the suffering that we're going through to help them understand that there's a higher power, that there is a God, that there is a Jesus that is there to save them, and we are proof of that. That despite our suffering, their salvation is extremely important to us and to God. He goes on to say, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Let me say that again. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If you go back and read that, Paul's saying, look, it's for your salvation that I'm going through all of this. And just so you know, you'll get that same opportunity to suffer, but guess what? God's going to comfort you too during that suffering. But the point is, there's going to be suffering. We want to live this life of assuming that if I just do things God's way, I'll never experience anything that I consider to be bad. That doesn't line up with Scripture. That doesn't line up with Scripture. There's another guy that suffered pretty good. His name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. He gave up everything, everything. I mean, in my mind, just walking this earth was a form of suffering because he had all of heaven. He left all of heaven to come down here. But then he went further and he allowed himself to be falsely accused. You talk about attacking your character? Isn't that what Satan did to Jesus? Through the Pharisees and Sadducees? They're getting mad because he's healing somebody on the Sabbath. They're so blinded by their religiousness that they don't see the fact that this person is healed. Who cares what day they got healed on? They're so wrapped up in a character assassination. So should we be surprised when we get our character attacked? You know, he, he submitted himself to be beaten and bruised. At any point in time, he could have he could have called down all of heaven. At any point in time, he could have said, that's enough. Peter even attacked one of the guards to defend Jesus, and Jesus said, hold up, Peter. That's not proper. That's not right. This time is appointed. This time of suffering is appointed because this suffering that I'm about to go through is worth every life, every soul, every person because it makes the way for each and every person to have eternal salvation. So that suffering was worth it to Jesus. It was worth it to Paul. It was worth it to the disciples. So the question is, is it worth it to us? Is the suffering worth it to us? The other reason Elihu says that suffering uh, may be happening is because it builds character. We're okay with going through something to grow and to build character. And I hear everybody agree with that statement. You know, we're going to go through trials and tribulations, but it's going to build character. But when you attach the word suffering, suffering steps over the line for us. Well, now I, I, I'll take a little trial and tribulation, Lord. I'll take a little, but, but no suffering, Father God. Reminds me of Robert Morris when he was talking about receiving the gift of baptism from the Holy Spirit. And he was not all into that speaking in tongues thing. So he went down front and told the Holy Spirit, man, I want everything you got with the exception of that speaking in tongues thing. 
And just so you know, Holy Spirit wasn't a part-time giver of gifts. So he got nothing that night. <laughs> Later on, he finally realized it was all or nothing, and he gave his all, and the Holy Spirit gave him all. And that's the way it is for all of us here. And that's the same thing with suffering. We can't just be one foot in and say, well, you, you, can, you can put me through a little something, Lord. You put me through a little something. But I'm going to tell you when's enough. I'm going to have a safe word. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Suffering is a trial and a tribulation. We need to always look to see, did we do something to bring it upon ourselves? That is true. If we are not living according to God's ways, then some of the things you're experiencing are a result of that. If you are not experiencing the things of God, it's because you're not following his ways. Because guess what one of his ways are? Tribulation, trial, suffering are one of his ways. But he also provides resources to make those trials, tribulations, and suffering no problem. Charles Stanley said, trials are designed by the Lord to test our faith, humility, submission, and values. So the question then becomes, if we, if we get rid of the thought that good people don't suffer, and we quit thinking that God won't allow us to suffer, then we start thinking, okay, Lord, if you built us so that we would suffer, you must have built a way that we could endure that suffering, make it through that suffering. So you start reading the scriptures, and you realize he built lots of ways for us to overcome. He never said we wouldn't go through anything. In fact, he promises us that we will. So Job gets frustrated and he begins to go to the Lord and he takes his case to the Lord and he says, Lord, you know, basically I'm an upright man. I honor you. I love you no matter whether I got stuff or don't have, I have stuff or don't have stuff. So what's going on here, Lord? Are you just not a just God? What's going on? And God answers him. And that right there is just such an awesome scripture anyway. We try to go to God like he don't know what we are. We go in here, we're going to fake worship like God don't know if you're fake worshiping. We're going to put on a brave face and talk to the Lord as if we're all right when we're not all right. And God didn't say you couldn't be honest with him. And he'll respond to you. You may not like his response, but he responded to Job. And I want to read you his response or just part of it here. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He didn't just sneak up. You called me. Let me answer you. He says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this dummy that don't know what he's talking about? Who are you, Job? Then he says, now prepare yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but my mama used to say, you wait till your daddy gets home. And that right there would send shivers up my spine. I can't imagine God himself being in front of me saying, now prepare yourself. Mm. And he says, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You got questions for me? Let me ask you a few questions, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? You ever thought about the measurements of the universe. I'm not just talking about earth. And everything in it has a measurement. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? You ever thought about what the earth is fastened to? I think daddy said at one time, we're all excited. We sent a rocket to the moon 
And yet God hung a planet just in, just in midair. There it is. I mean, wow. Unbelievable. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors where it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. You've been to the beach? We talk about the tide that comes in and out. You ever thought about what stops it from coming all the way in? Even when it comes further in than we expected, it still stops at some point, doesn't it? It's just water. Fill up a Tupperware container. Just let it keep flowing and see what happens. Will it just stop? Not unless you turn that water off, right? But somehow, God told the waters exactly where to go. Exactly where to stop. I, I, will, I will tell you this. It's one of my frustrations with the conversation about climate change. Not that we don't recognize some things going on. And not that we shouldn't take care of our planet and, and, and appreciate what God built for us. But the ego to think that there's anything I can do personally to change what God set up and designed is just arrogance. Just arrogance. I can do my part. And I can be a good Christian, a good citizen. I can, I can appreciate the things that are here. But guess who I need to appreciate them for? For God. Not anything man did. God, let me help clean up the beach that you made. Let me help clean up the ocean that you design. But let me not be arrogant enough to think that I know how to fix anything. Let me go one step further. Who says it's broken? Who says it's broken? Have we lived long enough to understand the cycle of life? Maybe every thousand years something else happens. I don't know. That's basically what God's telling Job. You got a limited understanding, my friend. You understand your little bubble right here. You don't see it all. You don't know how it all works together. You think you're suffering? Guess what? My son suffered, but we knew there was a bigger plan, and that's why he did it. He understood that this momentary suffering would bring about eternal salvation for everybody. You think Jesus thought it was worth it? He finished the job, didn't he? He finished the job. So if we get rid of that argument that as good people, we shouldn't suffer, then the question becomes, am I suffering? Yes or no. And if I am, what do I do about it? How do I handle the suffering? Lying about it won't help. Telling other people I'm good when you're not good is not going to help. Right? So there are a few scriptures I want to remind you of here. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start in the fourth verse, but I want to highlight verses six and seven. It starts out, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. When we get stressed out over suffering and we can't understand it, we can't explain it, we're getting anxious. We're getting anxious for a solution. Uh, Levi's girlfriend's mother just received a kidney yesterday. She needed a kidney badly. Amen. Give God praise. She's been on the waiting list for five years. And then we went over Thursday night, just coincidentally had a, a, a get-together scheduled Thursday night. They got the word Thursday morning that she would be the secondary, not the primary, but the secondary. So there was a good chance she might get the kidney, but the kidney was a match to two people, and there was one person ahead of her. 
So then the prayer becomes, how do you pray for that? Because on the one hand, I want my friend Josie to get this kidney, but that might mean that the primary wouldn't get the kidney and what might happen to them? How do you pray for that kind of stuff? And my little bubble, I want my friend to get it. It's gonna save her life, but to what cost? So Josie may have to suffer a little longer. I don't know, right? So we prayed, Lord, your will be done. We don't know what to pray in this situation, God. We trust you. We see you in this situation. And it just so happened that it was her turn and her time, and she got the kidney. Praise God. Amen. But, but, the, but the thing here in Philippians is that be anxious for nothing. Five years, it's hard not to get anxious. When they give you that call, it's hard not to get anxious. But God's saying, hey, hey, be anxious for nothing. I got you. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace that passes all understanding is one of the resources God gives us to endure suffering. When people look at you and go, I don't know how you can even stand, breathe, much less even talk to others right now. you got so much going on in your life. When you experience death after death after death after death, or your character's assassinated, or it's, it's come under attack, or your family's been under attack, or you see accidents, or whatever may happen in your life, and yet you can be at peace, that's God. And that's a resource he designed. And the only way to get that peace is to go to him in prayer with supplication with thanksgiving. I gotta be thankful for the suffering because Lord, I know I only know this piece of the puzzle, but I trust you, God, and I know you've got the whole puzzle in front of you. I know you know everything about it. Here's another resource, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, we read uh, just a minute ago, but it reminds us that God is our comforter, our comforter always, right? The Holy Spirit was sent to be our comforter to help us through this. Who are we having to rely on in all these situations? The Lord. Family is good. Friends are good. But God is the only one providing that peace, and God is the only one providing that comfort. I want to tell you this story. I'm getting ready to close here, but you know what that means, so probably not more than about another 15 minutes. I'm getting better at this. I've almost got a full year under my belt now, so I'm learning how to preach longer and longer. But I want to tell you the story we shared Wednesday night. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. But I sent out a text this week, and it said, Are you living a life of cheese and crackers Christianity? How many of you got that text? Amen. I didn't see all of you Wednesday night. That's okay. No, no, it's okay. But did you think about it? Let me give you the story behind the cheese and crackers Christianity. There was a man back in the early 1900s, wanted to come to America to give a better life for his family, scrimped and saved and gathered up enough money to buy a third-class ticket on a steamboat, but his wife and him couldn't go together. He didn't have enough for two tickets. So they agreed that he would go and he would set up a business and gather money and then bring the family over at a later time. So he gets on the, on the boat and realizes he's only got a little bit of money left. And so he buys a wheel of cheese and a box of crackers. And he's going to ration that out throughout the 12 day journey to get to America. So that once he gets there, whatever money he has left, he can establish himself and earn enough money for the family. Very, very good. Very good plan right there. So each night he goes and he gets his little slice of cheese and his cracker and he eats it and he's fine. But 
Every once in a while, I'll just get the better of him. He'll go look through the window and see everybody at the lavish tables eating these amazing meals and just thinking, you know what? I know that I can't have that right now. I can't afford that right now. But when I get to America, one day I'm going to be able to feed my family that way. And he just finds hope in that. And so the 12 days are up. He's finally eating his last piece of cheese and cracker. And he's waiting on the rail. They see the Statue of Liberty. They're pulling in. And the steward talks to him and says, sir, I I trust your stay was good with us. Couldn't help but notice that you you didn't come to dinner any night or any meal that we had. And I just want to make sure we didn't offend you some way. And the man tells him the story. You didn't offend me at all. I'm just saving my money so that I can establish myself in America so I can bring my family over. And the steward looks at him and all of a sudden realizes that he has totally misunderstood. And he informs the man that his ticket that he purchased included all of the meals. He could have been eaten with everybody every day. And so guess what? He got to America just like everybody else on that boat. But he missed all of the blessings and provisions because he didn't understand the ticket he had purchased. You know, we're a lot like that when we see suffering. We go through suffering just like everybody else and every other Christian. And guess what? One day we're going to heaven together. But, but there are blessings and provisions provided for us here and now to be able to handle the treacherous journey. And it's included in the price of our ticket. When you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit was a part of that purchase. And he provides everything that we need to get through any kind of suffering. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. So I encourage you, do not live a life of cheese and crackers Christianity when God has provided a full spread. Amen? Amen. Please keep these scriptures in your heart when you're going through something because guess what I know? We're all going through something. Remember that Revelation 21.4 tells us that uh, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things will have passed away. That's when we get to heaven, that all of this will go away. See, we're not in retirement yet. A lot of us are trying to live a retirement life. But this life is our work life. And guess what? You can go to work and you can enjoy your job and you can enjoy the people that you're with, but it's still your job. And so every day on the job may not be easy. There may be some suffering, but you got to push through because retirement is coming. Retirement is coming. And don't forget, this is one of my grandfather's favorite scriptures. Psalms 118.24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You have a choice today. You have a choice. Is this the day the Lord has made? Either it is or it isn't. Every day you get up is a day the Lord made. Choose whether or not you will rejoice. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. 
expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.